if you're trying to make any kind of meaningful, effective change in your life, well, you have come to the right place because that is what my expert guests and I are here to help you do. Welcome to We're Talking Shift. This is the podcast where all we do is talk shift because when we're stuck and need to rise to a challenge, make a health shift, a relationship or an emotional shift, well, the first thing we have to shift, my friends, is our thinking. That is the antidote to feeling stuck. I'm Lori Bischoff, and I'm so glad you're here. Now, let's get busy. Good day, ladies and gentlemen. I'm Lori Bischoff, and we are going to start talking some shift. Today, I think this is going to be really interesting, you guys, because we're going to be we're going to be like diving into why you should stop chasing and searching for your passion, which is a little different than the advice and messages that um, everybody has been getting for about the last 10, 15 years. All good advice, but I think you're going to appreciate this other angle. So my guest today to talk about this with us is an award-winning speaker and writer and brand advisor, Terry Trespiccio. Now, Terry's TEDx talk called Stop Searching for Your Passion has well over 6 million views right now. HubSpot named her one of the top 18 female speakers who are killing it. Terry is a former magazine editor and radio host at Martha Stewart. She has appeared on the Today Show, the Dr. Oz Show, the Early Show, the Martha Stewart Show, and the Anderson Cooper Show. Her work has been featured in Oprah Magazine, Marie Claire, Prevention, Forbes, Business Insider, and Inc.com. Terry is a certified facilitator in the Gateless Writing Method. We're going to talk to her a little bit about that too. And she leads workshops and retreats all over the country, helping professionals take their stories and ideas from page to stage and beyond. Not only is Terry a national conference speaker, she is also a stand-up Stand up comic and has performed in venues all over New York City. So, this should be really, really fun today. Welcome, Terry. Let's thank talk you. Some shift. Are you yes. ready? I am ready. I'm ready. For awesome. You. Okay. So, I can't remember how I was scrolling through, I don't know what I was looking for on YouTube, but somehow I stumbled across your talk. That's usually how it happens. <laughs> right? Yeah. People just I, sort of stumble my way. That is how I, I, Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I wasn't looking for, you know, somebody for me, to talk about course. why you shouldn't <laughs> run after your passion, but somehow I came across it and I was like, thank you, God, because, you know, ever since, especially the secret came out, what, like 13 <laughs> or 14, 15 years ago, everybody, and I've had lots of clients that I've had this discussion with, everybody's been, you know, running across the globe, chasing their bliss and their passion, trying to find it. And, you know, and the next step is have it support them. Oh boy. Yeah. Economy. Yeah. So, <laughs> right. So I was like, oh, thank you. This is so, so good. I have to have you on to talk about this. Before we dive into passion, I want to ask you what came first, because then I find out you are a stand, stand up comic. I don't know why I keep tripping up over that word. A comedian. I'm going to just say that. Yeah. Right? And I just, <laughs> yes. That's easier. So, okay. What came first? I mean, you're, um, you're a writing teacher and instructor and you do all of that good stuff we talked about in your intro, but you are also, also in, in comedy. So. Well, I will say that is, I don't want to overstate the point. I do not make my living from comedy, not even close. Um, the days of going to clubs in New Yorker, well, they're not back yet. <laughs> so, yeah. And that, that was never the thing. And when you, it's a good question, the chicken or egg kind of question, but fun fact, the week I gave that TEDx talk, which changed my life, let's be honest. And it didn't change it overnight, but it did change it. Yeah. That was like a, I don't know, like a third, I don't remember, but whatever. It was one week. That same week was the end of my stand-up comedy class and I had my first set. So I did my first comedy set and my first TED talk the same week. And that was a real stressful week. <laughs> wow. It's like, how are these things happening during the same week? Like one of those is enough. But That's I had both. And I remember thinking, this is so crazy, but also this is, could not be more exciting. And I'll tell you what, I was way more comfortable 
giving a TED talk than I was on that comedy stage. I think there are few places as uncomfortable as a stand-up set. You stand up there with a mic and a bare light or whatever, and that's it. That is still, I think, way scarier. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so, you know, why did I get into comedy? I've been a public speaker and been doing this kind of thing and loving to entertain people for a long time. And people would say, oh, have you done stand up? And I always told them why I couldn't do it. My roommate in college was like, you're so funny. You should do stand up. I go, no, no, you don't understand, Megan. It's a whole thing. And you have to like live in motels and you have to drink a lot. And you have to do all these things. And it's terrible. <laughs> Fact is you do have to do those things. But I was so busy telling people why I couldn't do it. And finally I was like, this is so dumb. It's a skill like any other skill. Go find out and learn how. Just to like learn it as a skill. Not yeah. because I'm going to try to make a million. You know how many people make a million dollars doing comedy? Like a rule. I can count them on one hand. Right. Yeah. So I was like, oh, I'm going to learn it anyway. And by the way, I want to say this too, to uh, ladies of a certain age like myself. Um, I was over 40 before I did any of those things. No I was over 40 kidding. when I did stand up for the first time, when I gave my first TED talk. And when I played touch football for the first time, I do all the things after 40. Yes. So lest anyone think that you need to be a spring chick to take on and try things. I was scared, scared as a younger woman. I just was assumed I couldn't do a lot of things. And now I feel that I can kind of do whatever I want. So there are some perks with age. Yeah. Totally. That's amazing. Okay. I've made a note about the touch football thing. Yeah. We'll get back to that because that's kind of, (laughs) why is that in the, which of these things does not belong? (laughs) Right. Like that wasn't like a passion you were secretly chasing, right? Uh, No. (laughs) And then you got it. Okay. All right. Interesting. (laughs) But you're right though. I cannot imagine anything more intimidating and freaking scary than standing on stage and doing a comedy routine and hoping and praying that you're freaking funny. Like, you know, that's that is exactly it because no one can fake it. Anyone can watch a talk and applaud at the end and you don't know how you did maybe, but laughter you cannot fake. And if no one laughs, there is a a humility that you learn being there that I thought was really important because I do make a good part of my living as a speaker. So that's where I thought, oh, let's add this to the toolkit and learn what is it that makes comedy so scary, but also why you actually don't have to be funny to do it. You need to know how to craft a joke. So that's what I was learning. How do you set up and craft the joke? It's just like, how do you build a house? Well, I don't know how to build houses. Well, if someone taught you, you'd know this beam goes here, this floor goes here. If you can learn to craft a joke, there's no reason you can't do stand up. So this whole idea of this cult of personality that Mm -hmm. you have to be funny or the class clown to do comedy, or you have to be a certain big deal to do a TED talk, all that stuff is not true. Hmm. So interesting. And it is so, um, also so interesting that you say you were, this was all happening uh, during the same week for you because I'm watching your Ted talk and I'm like going, Oh, there's just, that was just a perfect little bit of humor. She slid in there. You see, I I had it on the brain. Yeah. It was just, the balance was awesome. Anyway, bravo. Well done. And clearly it's been well received because you are over six, what, 6.5, over 6.5 million views right now, I think, when I, yes, it, it's a lot. It's big. So. It's a lot. And I'll tell you, and I always feel like I want to make sure this is totally clear. No one was looking for me. I didn't have a following to speak of. I didn't have an email list. I had a rare opportunity to apply for an open spot at the last minute at a TEDx event. And I, and I got it and I could have, a lot of people do TEDx talks, hundreds of thousands. The reason I think it did well, and your guess is as good as mine, is not because of me and it's not because of anything special about my background or my practices or anything. The idea stuck because enough people hate the idea too. If mm-hmm. everyone hated the idea, no one would watch it. But the right. fact is I get emails all the time from people who are like, I watched your talk, thank you. You relieved me of this pressure. And that showed me that that's the reason why. Yeah. Yeah. I know. I think you're right because it's not that you're, you told anyone not to be passionate about something. You know, you didn't say that, but, but there was an, but there was the thing that you said that so often isn't said, you know, um, well, before we go there, let's do this. Let's do this. I would love to have you define passion. Like how do you define it? You know, what is it and what isn't it? I believe passion is the energy, the sort of life force that we're all capable of, that we have all experienced, 
and will experience again. It's that energy and force that you bring to whatever is in front of you. So the idea that, well, I can't do that because I'm not passionate about that, but I can do that. Like I worked for many years as a copywriter. There's things I want to write about and things I don't. But if I needed money, I could get real passionate about writing about dog food if I needed to. Nothing wrong with that. The passion isn't just what magically turns me on like I'm a kind of high school uh, locker combination and I need the perfect combination to open me. That is very precious thinking. And if there's anything I really detest, it's precious thinking. I believe that we're all capable of passion because it's something that we have as humans and that we can tap it and use it as we will. It is not a major that you pick. And if you think someone else has to tell you what it is, then it wasn't yours to begin with. Mm, I like it. I like it. So... Why has the idea of just pursue your passion, follow your bliss, why has that just bugged you so much that you literally decided kind of at the last minute to jump on a TEDx page, stage and talk about Well, it? actually, what you just said is very interesting. You said well, you were fired up and so you pitched the idea. No, I, oh, I wanted to speak for a living. I wanted to do a TED Talk. I did not think I was qualified or that everyone would ever give me that chance. I was wrong. The opportunity came up and a lot of people applied for it. It was literally a month before the event. And he said, do you have a, the, the organizer said, do you have a TED talk in you? What are some of the ideas you have? And I pulled it out like a wad of singles and started paging through them. I was like, because I had thought about, um, I was already in the business of helping people refine their messaging, which is what I do for mm -hmm. a living. And mm -hmm. so I had thought about ideas I liked, ideas I didn't like, and I kept them in my back pocket. I actually pitched him a few ideas. And he liked this one the best. This mm -hmm. is a collaboration with a global brand. TED and TEDx is a brand. And it's like being a writer and working with an editor. He collaborated with me. I didn't get on a thing and go, I'm going to give a TED talk because I'm passionate about this. No, backwards. I had the opportunity to give the talk. He said, what do you got? I go, uh, I got a five. I got a 20. I got a, I pulled out a bunch of bills. And I said, I also hate this idea of fate because it makes me think I'm not supposed to do anything because it'll just happen because it's fated. I hate anything that feels precious and sort of weak in my mind. And so I said, how about fate and passion. How the, like, I pitched a totally different thing. He goes, let's lose this part. Let's just focus on why do you not think it's a good idea to search for passion? And I didn't know. So I said, I don't know, but I love the idea. So I chewed on it and chewed on it. And he said, come back tomorrow, write a little bit about it and tell me what that would be. I didn't have the last line of that talk, which is a, a great line. I will say I was very happy with it yeah. until the week of the talk. I was writing my way there. I, was, I didn't have the answers and go, I have the answer. So now I'm going to go tell the world my answer. I was like, I want to understand this. And I think, I believe this is what makes great talks, what makes great writing. The writer is figuring it out in real time. Mm -hmm. And then refines it for an audience. But I was like, I think I don't like the idea because this, but I didn't know why I thought it. Mm -hmm. I just said, this bothers me. That's yeah. a good, that is an instigator for me. I like to be annoyed. I like to be irritated. That's where I come up with, with funny material, funny stories, things I would say. And so when I was like, I hate this idea. I hate mealy mouth advice. And this is one of my least favorite. Why? I don't know. Let me figure it out. Mm -hmm. And that became the talk. But it was like, tick, tick, tick. The talk's in right. 10 days. You yeah. Know? Yeah. Okay. So that's like not much pressure, but <laughs> <laughs> I love the pressure though. Well, you must because you knocked it out of the park. I mean, you nailed it. And it sounds like, I mean, all of that stuff is so interesting, but you, you did, you like had this thing that, that you said was just annoying you and it was really bugging you. And then, <laughs> yeah. then you got, then you got really curious though about it. And I think that's so important is that, you know, a lot of times we might have something that, that is, you know, not sitting well with us or we're annoyed or we're irritated, but we, um, we often don't bother to stop and ask ourselves the quality questions and get curious yes. enough about it to figure out what is it about this, this thing or this person or this topic that is making you so, you know, annoyed. You might and, say, you might stop it mad. You might go, I'm mad, and then you stop talking about it. But and as a coach, you know that the magic is in when you un, when you like reveal, dig into it, and find out that's where the magic is. That's where yeah. new ideas come from. Right. So interesting. Okay. So what is the dangerous idea around following your passion? The dangerous idea is that it is a way to delay. That you know. 
and, and look, I was like very much delaying my joining of the adult world right after college. I didn't, I was terrified. You know, I just didn't think I would fit anywhere. I didn't think anyone would want me. And I, I hung on because no job, well, that won't be right. And then I'll be stuck and I'll be right. And there was that terrible fear. I was just riddled with anxiety. And really anything you do will be better than doing nothing. But we can be stalled like that at any point in our lives. And so if you allow yourself to get stalled, this kind of self-help idea of like, oh, well, I'll just find what I'm passionate about. Here's the thing. If everyone knew exactly what they're passionate about and just went for it, they my TED talk. No one can't. They'd be like, she's wrong. Everyone's very busy following their passion. Some people are, but uh, then why are so many people going, uh, and I have to think that it's that we have so many options and so many things that we love and could love that we feel that we are about to make a mistake and pick the wrong one. Mm. And that kind of thinking, I really detest advice that sounds free. Oh, just follow your passion. Just do that. But then inside you're going, but I'm the jerk that doesn't know. And then I feel worse about myself yeah. because look, I always have loved to write. I've loved to write my whole life. Sure. I'm passionate about writing, but I came out of school. I was like, I don't know. I don't know how to apply. I don't know how to be a writer. I don't know who would, I was too afraid. It didn't help that I liked right. to do a thing. Yeah. Yeah. That's so interesting too. A um, couple of things about that because one, yeah, there are a lot of people, whether it's because you're kind of new into adult world or because you went from, you went from being a young person to maybe being a classic example is you went, you know, into being, um, you know, in partnership with somebody, a marriage, perhaps family. And then that phase, that season ends. And then you mm -hmm. come into, then you, then you have, you know, the ability again to maybe put a lot of focus on something other than that. And then you have a lot of people going, well, I don't know. I've been doing that role, right? Roles for so long. I have no idea what I what I am passionate about. They don't even know, and they're not even sure where to begin. So, so that's one thing that is uh, that I think is a really interesting to dive into. The other thing is um, the whole follow your passion. It's almost like though the the part of the sentence that got forgotten was, "But don't quit your day job." <laughs> Right. Yes. Do not. Your passion is not the benevolent rich uncle who owes you a living and security. The, yes, we do not quit day jobs. <laughs> we do not. And you're not failing because you didn't move to Bali and become a yoga instructor. You can absolutely. I've given the. There's a follow up talk that I give to the because the TED talk was already up there. You don't need to give it again. And I've given it to accountants, people who work in um, energy utility companies. It doesn't matter. A lot of people have jobs have this weird guilt as if they shouldn't have had a job or they're supposed to do mm -hmm. something else. Actually, I had the really, I meant to add this, I had a very rare opportunity to be interviewed by Seth Godin on his Facebook Live. Okay, please, blew my mind. And nice. he was wonderful. He really is a just, he's as magical as you think, right? But he said, I want to have you on because of the talk. He, because of the TED talk. And I said, okay. And he goes, I want to talk about hiding. And I was like, wait, 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 wait. Uh, are you sure you're asking the right person? For and he said, no, I think the search for passion is another way to hide. He said, because mm. if you think that you need more information or you need better credentials, or you're not ready or someone else is better at it, or you need to like, oh, I just got to figure out what my passion and purpose is. Those things get mixed up a lot. And mm -hmm. they'll say, oh, I need to figure that out. He said, it's a way of hiding. And if you continue to hide, he said, you will not be able to do the generous work you want to do. So if you're using, oh, I got to figure out the passion thing first as a break to pump the brakes, then oh my God, well, we don't have that much time. Right? Yeah. What are we doing? What are we doing? Yeah. And there is no shame in having a job that pays you money. Right. Yeah. I mean, you can, because really it is, it's all how, how you frame it up. I think, I mean, you, I'll take myself for an example. When I was younger, I was really passionate about being independent. I wanted to move out when I was 17 years old. Oh. So, you know, I was waitressing and I was, you know, doing, I was answering phones and I was doing like three or four different jobs. I was working in a clothing store. I would go from job to job to job where any of those jobs, like my ultimate passion in life, you know, was schlepping drinks, passion for me. No, but I'll tell you what was living independently and making and money. you did. Right. Yeah. And you were able to do it. And I was able That's to do That's the it. win. Exactly. So I think, yeah, the thing about um, sometimes your, your passion and, and you said like your purpose, they don't, they're not always the same thing as, as, uh, as, as 
just being responsible and earning a living and taking care of yourself. Plus, were you, you going to do that forever? No, you knew you weren't going to do that forever. You could change. You right. probably were like, okay, I'm going to do this for a while and then I'll do something else. This idea, and you know, it's a really good question, Lori, when you say like, where does that come from? Is it this idea, this kind of like, is it elitist? I mean, I don't even know. I, I don't, I'm not even sure, but this idea that your whole life should be this perfectly curated and cared for experience, that everything's supposed to push you toward this one thing. I don't know if it's movies. Most people, humans, people who walk upright in the history of even before recorded history, mostly it was, will I eat and will I live? And is there any way I can reproduce and not die? That's basically what most of humankind was ever concerned, shelter, food. And now we have the luxury of being lost in, oh, what will I do? And oh God, what if I do the wrong thing? And there's this whole malaise about it. Right. It kind of it kind of drives me crazy. <laughs> yeah, but you know what you said it though in we have the luxury now because for most people at least living in this country most people um are their their basic survival needs are being met. Not everybody of course. Yeah. You know, not to minimize the people that that are still needing some help, but generally speaking, your, your survival needs are being met. And then you do have the luxury of thinking about, you know, self-realization and being woke in a higher consciousness and all of that, those wonderful things that we all strive to, to become and to evolve into mm-hmm. as human beings. But I think, yeah, it seems like there's been, um, for some, a little bit of a the the missing piece in the middle of yeah but you still you that doesn't mean you should be um expecting to avoid tough circumstances and avoid challenges and avoid having to go out and and roll up your sleeves and do some things that maybe you don't want to do because those are also the things that help you evolve as a human being and help you raise your consciousness yeah, and help you learn yeah, and grow and be able to be empathetic and have compassion for other people. You have, you know, we all have to experience and go through some of those things in order to relate to our fellow human beings that are maybe struggling. Yeah. I really think that there's, there is something to that mismatch where somewhere along the line, we thought, you know, like people who, and I mean, this is like, such a small sector of the people in the world globally, but I don't have to quit this job because I'm not really passionate about it. It's like the world actually doesn't care about whether you're passionate about it. The world needs its needs, has its needs, and it wants those needs met. How you find ways to serve those needs in a way that makes you feel good. Of course, I want people to do what they feel strong at and feel great at and be able to do it. But even when you're doing something that feels tailor-made for you, there's a lot of parts of that work that aren't fun. I think for one that work is easy and people are hard Mm -hmm. and then working and dealing with people on anything like, oh, I just wish I worked for myself because I wouldn't have a boss. No, no, no. You're going to have 20 bosses. You know, one boss is maybe bad enough. Now you're going to owe things to lots of people. There's never a time where you're like, well, then I'll be free to do this. And it's like, yes, we do have incredible freedom and varying levels of freedom, depending on where you grew up, who you are, what privileges Mm -hmm. you've been given. We know this. But the idea that somehow, oh, this is when it wasn't uh, engaging enough for me. Well, the world is not entertainment. <laughs> like, so I don't know. And look, yeah. I've had it easy. I'm not even saying like I toiled and I like, look, you interviewed Neil Donald Walsh. That man was on the street living on the street. Yeah. Asking for money and barely getting by. Yeah. I have never been in that situation. And so there's, there's a range of experiences. Right, but I think right. it's wrong to to hold ourselves to some ideal that we were supposed to be doing something different, glamorous. I don't know what it is. Yeah, and I think that you know, depending on your attitude about whatever you're doing, I mean, really, I could be doing the dishes, which I do every day. It's very therapeutic because you know it doesn't matter if i'm taking out the trash or doing the dishes or you know in the past when i was you know working till 4 in the morning you know serving drinks to drunks i mean whatever um i was i was just kind of in the moment and relishing the opportunity of whatever it was i was doing so because i always knew that if that wasn't necessarily the passion but there was there was another purpose behind it that was just There's something meaningful. else. 
I think that you landed on it. I mean, I believe that we don't necessarily want to follow our passion. That's language that's been kind of given to us that I don't even know where it came from. It's kind of, I guess it's Joseph Campbell kind of stuff, like follow your bliss. But what we really want at the end of the day is a life that matters. We want to know that our work counts. We want to be recognized. We want to feel connected. We want to know that we created something of value and meaning and that we matter to someone else. At the end of the day, that's it. If I paid you a six-figure salary to make something every day by hand, and at the end of the day, I gave you a check and then slammed it with a hammer and ripped it up and burned it, I don't care how much money you're making. You're going to feel like, why did I do that? Every day you destroy what I make, but I'm paying you, so be quiet. Well, we know that money isn't everything. We want to know that something we made matters. Yeah. You know how many ways there are to do that? It doesn't mean you have to quit and write screenplays. It can mean that you do lots of things, lots yeah. of ways to create things. That's why I really strongly believe, Brene Brown always said that create, there is not such a, there's no such thing as creative and non-creative people. There's people who use their creativity and people who don't. And oh, yeah. your ability to tap that part of you that does think creatively. People, oh, I don't have a creative job. There isn't a job that isn't creative because you have to use your brain to solve problems and to see your work yeah. in a new way. And to me, that's where the passion comes in. Yeah, I, I love that too, because it is. Again, it's about, it's about your perspective and seeing the work in a new way. What is the meaning you're applying to it? Because you that's can right. always change the meaning and feel differently about it if you want to. Or you can yeah. you know, wallow and be miserable, but you know, you have the choice. You have the choice, right? A roommate of mine in college was a, well, all of my roommates for some reason were all accountants, um, which was really funny because I was like, ah, I don't know what that life is. And she was an accountant. She worked tons of hours and did the whole grind of a new accountant. Years later, I'm still in touch with her. Now she's partner. And she says, I'm still an accountant. She's like, and it's funny that people think that must mean I'm like chugging numbers all day. She goes, I do some of that. She said, but I'm a partner now. I'm managing the other's talent. I'm helping women find their way, help them have a voice. You could be very wary of, of labeling jobs. Like, I don't want to just be an accountant. Oh, accountant's where they started, but mm -hmm. that's not where they necessarily stop. Mm -hmm. It's not like, oh, she's an accountant, so I guess she's not creative. What? Of course they are. Yeah. People get very creative with their books. No, just kidding. You shouldn't get creative with your books. But there's ways that you can connect other things that you do, and it's not all about the title. Yeah, yeah. And, it, you know, that is interesting, too, because a lot of people have a very narrow definition of what it is to be creative. Yes. And, you know, it's not just if you're an artist or, you know, a no. performer or a singer or some of the kind of obvious things. I mean, if you're alive, you're creating. You're creating something. Well, actually, you're not going to believe this. I have it handy because I talk about this quite a bit. Creativity is, here's the actual definition, the ability to transcend traditional ideas, rules, and patterns, and to create meaningful new ideas, rules, and patterns. All creativity is, is see what's there, go above it, come up with a new way. Every time you build someone's home office for them or put in their pool or do their whatever, anything, any job you can think of, whether it's physical or digital, every time you go above the way we've done it and look at it a new way. And that's the kind of work that'd be very hard to give to a robot, right? Mm -hmm. That's the kind of work. And every job, there is room for that. So I don't yeah. buy that there's creatives. I think that's really weird. Like, well, those are the creative people and then there's the rest of us humans. Yeah. No, exactly. I mean, it, you know, just improving a recipe is creative. I mean, ra raising human beings is pretty creative. creative. Oh, is there anything more creative than a parent trying to get a child to go to bed? Right? Exactly. Yes. I just think making people. I think if you're a people maker, you're really freaking creative <laughs> personally. <Yes. laughs> anyway, okay. So when somebody is, you know, bumping around going, what's my passion? How do I find my passion? I don't know what I want to do. You know, all of, all of this stuff, the non-quality questions, as I call them. Um, so Non-quality question. That's mm -hmm. so interesting. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's the, it's, the same, it's the same category as like, why is this happening to me kind of question. Oh, they're no. Right. They're non-quality questions because there's- well, What am I supposed to be doing? How would anyone know? Right, right. Right. So, so what do you think for people that are trying to, that are in this, this 
place, this place of the unknown. And they feel like maybe they've, they've tried this and, you know, they tried guitar lessons and it wasn't music and they, they tried pottery and it wasn't pottery. And they've got, you know, a million pots now in the kitchen and they've tried, you know, all these things trying to find the passion. To make they, a living though, because that's the priority. The thing I say is what is the real priority? Because I will work with people who are trying to get their practice, you know, whatever they're coaching or they need, you know, messaging or whatever. I go, well, what's the real reason you're even doing this? Is it because it would be fun and you want something of your own, which is a lot of the reason why people will start maybe a coaching practice or something like that. But there's other people who are like, no, 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 no. I need to like, eh, I need income right now. And I don't mean to say it's either or passion or money. No, but the priority drives everything. If you're, if you have something that pays the bills and you want to explore things, then you have, you have time and money to invest into trying things. Yeah. I think I'd want to, if I were working, and you do this, you know, uh, not something that I do, but be like, okay, we'll try. Why didn't you? Why'd you give up on it? What are that? Like sometimes if someone doesn't win right away, mm-hmm. I'd want to look at, well, why are you not doing the thing? Like what, a hit, what triggered you that now you think, oh, I can't do that? Because a person who's one of the most interesting people, the kinds of people to meet are ones who are interested in everything. They don't have one thing they're passionate about because whatever's in front of them, they're fascinated by. What can you get fascinated by, curious by? But if you're looking to make a living and you don't like how you're currently making a living, okay, then we've got to split that up. Is it the people? Is it the company? It doesn't mean you have to quit or leave that business. Because when you, you even just told me now, you said, what if someone is like in the void? Like Mm -hmm. they don't know, but you're not in a void. You have a family or you live alone or you have this and you have these contacts. Everyone's already got something that they're working from or with. Mm -hmm. And there's something you would like to do if they say, well, I want to do something I love. Okay. Then you do have to think about, well, what are the things that you, when you do them, you feel like, yes, you feel lit up. You don't know that till you do it. Yeah. So there's that part. But then if it's like, well, listen, I just really need to be earning X amount, then that's a different thing. And if you need to make money more than you care how you make it, and you're like, I just need to make sure this is working. If somehow all of a sudden you start to do it well and make money, you don't care what it is. I mean, the perfect example of this is uh, one of the Shark Tank women, uh, Barbara Corcoran. I saw her speak at the 92nd Street Y. And she was up there with a couple other sharks. And someone said, someone asked the passion question. When are you guys, did, how did you get to be so amazingly wealthy? Um, did you follow your passion? And someone goes, what about you, Barbara? Barbara Corcoran, who's one of the biggest names in the brokerage business, right? And they go, well, you must have loved real estate. You must have a passion for real estate. I saw with my own two eyes and my ears. And she goes, no, I didn't have a passion for real estate. I said, you must have, you must have, Barbara. How can that be? And she said, I really didn't care. She's like, I loved salespeople. I loved the business. I loved throwing parties. I loved supporting the sales team. And I liked having my name in the paper. And I, she loved being, Barbara Corcoran loves being famous. Mm -hmm. If Barbara Corcoran didn't get into real estate and went into cosmetics, we would all be wearing Barbara Corcoran lipstick right now. So it doesn't matter. It didn't matter to her. Yeah. She loved her salespeople. If you love your salespeople, you're going to have a business. Yeah. Yeah. So she loved the result. She loved the result. Her efforts. Yes. Isn't that interesting? Isn't that a perfect example of like, you don't have to have a passion for the thing first. You know, it's like going out on the street and going, who am I going to marry right here on the street? What? You don't even know anyone on this street. Well, I got to pick one to marry or else I won't be happy and I can't move forward with my life. Okay. You need to go home. That's what you need to do. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. I think sometimes the, um, the element of being practical just it doesn't get factored into the formula. It has to be. And, and it has to be. It does. I mean, you know, there's, there's the thing about, you know, the, the passion part I feel like is kind of a, comes a little bit from the heart. Like people are like, but what's my calling? You know, what's, what is it from an emotional standpoint that lights me up, which is all great. I, I think that's wonderful. But you can't leave out the 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 part that you know is logical and practical, and um, you know use your sense of reasoning and how to and bring it into alignment somehow with that. Yes, but the and- passion comes from the success in a way, right? Like uh, this guy Jeff Hayden, who has I guess the top ink the guy on Inc. who writes the most popular blogs. I just found his book recently and he wrote, because I was looking for someone who demystified motivation and he wrote a book called The Motivation Myth. And he says, speeches don't provide lasting motivation. Progress provides lasting motivation. So when I say motivation, inspiration, passion, 
they kind of cousins, like they're related. And the idea is you will get motivated by doing the thing, not by picking it out of a lineup and trying it on like a pair of jeans. These don't fit me. Mm-hmm. Like that's mm-hmm. not how that happens. So yeah. if you start to feel some success around something, that will make you feel, if I, all of a sudden you make, uh, if you build success by going around and mowing people's lawns and they go, we've never seen anyone mow lawns like you. We will pay you double to have you mow our lawn. You're like, but I'm just mowing the lawn. No, no, you do it really great and yeah. differently. You're going to be so excited about mowing lawns. The, pat, the success can fuel the passion. Totally. And, and I think we don't give ourselves a chance to actually experience mastery or success of a thing. Mm-hmm. And then what happens if we don't get, we go, why aren't we lit up? Well, it's not, usually it came out of feeling like it did something, not, oh, what should I do now? Right, right. Because right. they're looking to be lit up from, the, from out there out and there. then it's just going to come so easily. Be, you know, I think uh, there's, there's a misnomer that... Um, you should be able to leap into that, you know, that thing that lights you up. Um, and, uh, and be perfect. <laughs> and, and yeah, it'd be perfect. Yeah, for sure. I mean, who doesn't want that? Um, but that's another conversation, but also <laughs> that, but, but I think being this, this, um, craze to avoid the discomfort, to avoid Uh, any kind of mm -hmm. pain and discomfort and be able to just like, yeah, but that, oh, that makes, you know, that triggers me or that's uncomfortable or that's too hard or that's going to take up a lot of my time. Any form of discomfort (laughs) or pain. It's going to take up a lot of your time. Mm-hmm. Oh my God. Right. I mean, so like, then, yeah. I mean, if, if that's what, if, if you're not willing to trade some of that to get to the success so that you can experience the result of that and how, and the passion and all of the stuff that comes with that, mm-hmm. um, then yeah, you're like going to be forever searching. Do you, do you, did you ever watch The Office? I was a big fan of The Office. I just loved the show The Office so much. And well, Michael Scott, who's the, you know, is the Steve. Yeah. Ah, oh, Jesus, you know, Corral. And yeah. he says, Pam, I think I want to be a dad. Could you look into seeing how I can adopt a baby from China? And Pam goes, it's going to take a long time. It could take six months to be able to adopt a baby from China. He goes, I don't know if I want a baby in six months. She goes, exactly. <laughs> if you don't want a baby in six months from now, then why would you get a baby now? Like, right. It's the same thing. It's like, this is crazy. If you're like, but that would take time. And I don't want to, I don't want to have to master anything. That's oh where God. the feeling of passion comes from is when you figure something out and you're trying to make it work. That's mm-hmm. where the fun comes from, comes from the work. I don't say you should suffer unnecessarily and be miserable, but a little of that struggle feels good. Yeah. Yeah. It does feel good. And that's what builds, um, right. Some resiliency and, you know, that kind of strength and determination, I think. Um, Agreed. That's that's such a great example. Um, Okay. So let's, let's talk about, so how does writing or how can writing, creative writing, maybe help someone that is a little bit in the void or just kind of, you know, asking non-quality questions? Because, non-quality. You know, I know That's my new favorite thing, non-quality questions. I love Non-quality it. questions. Why is this happening to me? If anyone asks me a non-quality question, I'd be like, I'm sorry, I don't answer non-quality questions. <laughs> right. Pick a new one. Make sure it's a quality one. Well, so, we were just talking about creativity, right? Yes. Yeah, so, everyone, so, yeah. How ahead, does sorry. that, how can writing, because I know that is something that you are gifted at and you teach and help people with. So yes, how can that, how is that connective tissue to just sort of mm-hmm. helping someone start to maybe cultivate a, a path or, or just something to feel good about? Well, for one, there is, we've been done a disservice usually by school by by a school system that makes us consistently divide us into who's good at what and what major to pick and somewhere along the line most people have been told they cannot or should not write now i don't i'm not losing sleep over how the rest of the world makes their living i'm not saying everyone should be a writer mm-hmm. but i'm saying you kind of already are you haven't if you are and i'm not even being facetious if you are literate and you can write words down There is something that happens when you do that, that is unlike anything else, unlike painting a watercolor, playing an instrument, writing music. Writing is something that is accessible to everyone. I, but you show me someone who says they can't write or they, they they hate it. I will show you someone who was shamed, criticized, 
their page was bloody with red ink and they were told this is not a safe thing for me to do. And where else would that come from but school, unfortunately? Now, mm-hmm. the kids who loved to write and excelled and did it and did it and did it and they got praised, but I, who knows, there's a million teachers. Maybe the wrong teachers said something wrong and to you and then you thought you couldn't do it. To not use that as a tool, and so I say, why do we go to the page? It's not because um, we need to be creative writers or call ourselves that. Number one, if you run your own business or you run or manage any kind of brand, you can't get away in this world without writing something. And a Facebook post is writing and an Instagram post is writing. You can't get away from it. Yeah, the world's moving toward video. Look at us. Mm-hmm. But writing is a way, the only easiest, cheapest, fastest way to get what's in here out of your head so you can see it. And I, yes, you'd say, well, it's easy for you. You've been writing your whole life. You really love it. Well, I was stuck for a long time too. And I went on this retreat and this woman was leading this retreat and she said, here's what we're going to do. We're going to write for a very short window. She gave us 20 minutes. Here's your prompt. Write about that. And then everyone just wrote. And then she said, okay, now who's going to read first? Okay. I didn't edit it. Doesn't matter. You're just going to read what you wrote. And we read what we wrote out loud. And she says, now I want everyone to talk about, and when the person who read, you don't speak now. You read your work. Now you be quiet and receive. And everyone else, I want you to talk about what you loved. What did you love about it? What moved you? Where was the energy in the piece? And be very specific. Well, over the course of that weekend, well, in the beginning, I said, this was all nice. I'm glad you said nice things about my work, but I want you to tell me what isn't good so I can become better. I, wanna, I wanted to do more writing. Make me a better writer. Don't blow smoke up my ass, basically. And she was like, honey, that's not what's happening here. She's like, this is brain science. The woman who created this approach, which is called the gateless method. I don't own that name. She created it. I'm certified in the method. It is a very uh, simple but complex And what it does is retrains your brain so that you no longer have that fear, that gripping, critic-addled fear of writing ideas down and sharing them because most of them have been been taught not to. Mm -hmm. When you do that and you do it as a practice, we did it for the whole weekend. I left that retreat on wings. I basically never went back the way I was. I felt freed and open. And there were people on that retreat who write for a living and there are people who'd never written a day in their lives and everyone felt different. And so that was six, seven, eight years ago. So, okay. So let me ask you before you move on. Um, so you, you write, but then the idea is you also share it. Read out loud. You, you don't just write for your own and then close nope. the book up and hide it. In no, that's called journaling. You can save a lot of money if you stay home and don't pay to go on a retreat to do it. Right, right. But okay. you actually read out loud, but it's scary, right? The idea yeah. of being like, I'm going to read that. Oh yeah. I'm going to be judged. I'm going to be judged. Maybe someone in that room doesn't like you. Maybe they don't like your writing. They don't like your hair. doesn't matter. No one says anything. There are very strict rules to govern how we do this particular method. And hmm. uh, it is basically no disclaiming of your work. So when you go to read, Lori, you would not be allowed to go, oh God, I don't know. I feel like this is really, uh, just I'm bear so with sorry. me. No throat clearing, which is very important for women, especially because women disclaim, disclaim their work all the time. You're taught, you do not disclaim, you just start reading. And what happened is in the rest of my life, I stopped disclaiming anything. I just go, okay, here's what I have. You let the work stand. It trains a way of thinking and sharing, and it trains you in owning your work and not being afraid of it or afraid of what will happen when you read it. Because you have a whole weekend of hearing people, and they're not like, oh my God, you're so good. You're a good writer. They said, I love the repetition of this word, and I love that part where the mother walks in the room, and I love this. And it's just scenes from your life, if you want, or made up. And I was so moved by this. I did not miss a retreat for the next five years. Then I went and became certified as an instructor. And I didn't know why, because I said, what am I going to do, lead writing retreats? That's exactly what I do. But I was like, I don't want to do that. That's what Suzanne does. I'm not like leading writing stuff. Yeah. Yeah. But then I found I was, because in my work as a messaging person, I found that I was trying to pull the work out of people and muscle it myself. When I use this tool, I have them write about who they are. Then I do it with them. And in the branding stuff, I will do that work. But what I found is I've had groups of financial advisors, let's be honest, a room full of white men over 50 with like one woman in the room. And I said, okay, here's your prompt. I said, I want you to write about a time when you found out something wasn't true. This, they were there for a branding workshop. They were like, okay, I said, I know this is weird and I know you didn't come here to do this. I'm asking you to trust me. 
because you are all business owners and leaders as well as advisors. And I want you to be real honest and just write. I'm going to give you 15 minutes. They wrote. I said, okay, who's going to read first? <clears throat> okay. And then they started reading. Some of them started crying. Wow. I mean, one guy was sobbing so hard he couldn't finish barely reading it. And he said, I'm sorry, I've never told this story before. And I was like, whoa. And someone else. And the feedback, it's not just read it and cry your head off. Not everyone right. cries. They yeah. read it. And I said, ah, I see. Because they were, they're leaders. So they're, they're in leadership mode. So I said, here's what I hear in your work. I do a lot of feedback. But they also, I said, what else did you love? What did you love about it? They're hearing from everywhere what's working and what they did. They're not trying to publish it. Mm-hmm. They'll never see that work there the same way again. And I went to the bathroom and I was rushed outside the door. People were like, what was that witchcraft? What did you just do? And I said, I set up a strong container. I let people write the thing that no one has given them permission to write. And then I did not judge them for it. And no one in that room judged them. So then you're free. You wonder why it's so easy to fill programs that are gateless writing programs because who doesn't want to do that? Wow. That's and it amazing. will change. And I don't care if you ever want to be a writer or not, but if you're feeling stuck, like, I don't know what I want to do. I give you prompts and you write out and you see your own life coming to the surface. You can see not, you're not out looking in the void for a new hobby. You're going, who am I really? And the you will come through that page if we quiet the critic and put her in the backseat and let your intuition rise. Because when you're judged or you feel you will be judged, phoom, you shut down like a vice. There's no getting at that part. What I do is help coax you open so you can actually get at it yourself. And then you will become far less tolerant of non-quality questions or judgments about your work because I don't ask people's opinions I don't want to hear anymore. And I disregard them. I only ask people and I tell them what I want to hear. And that's incredible power. And something that a lot of people don't feel and never have the opportunity to feel. That is Mm -hmm. why I believe that taking your work to the page is so powerful. Yes, yes, it is. And that is, that is so interesting. I'm super intrigued. And I like a couple of things. Um, So yeah, first of all, just the, just the advantage of anything, getting it out of your head and onto the paper is, is magical. Yes. It's magical. Um, I know I, I will even just have sometimes clients who have a lot of times like an issue with a, a relative or somebody, and they just can't have the conversation with them. So one of the things that I'll invite them to do is, you know, write it out like they're never going to see it, write everything you want to say, all the good, the bad, the ugly, the mushy, just get it all out. Do the vents all on paper, write it on paper and get it all out. You don't have to give it to them or maybe you'll decide you will. It doesn't matter, but just get it out of here and out there. It is, it's just a magical therapeutic exercise. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Do they read it to you? Um, sometimes they do. Yes. Sometimes they do, which is great because then we have, um, things that I'll I'll maybe hear things or see things that, um, you know what, this was never brought up, but, but it's mentioned 12 times in this letter. So Mm -hmm. I think we might want to explore this a little bit. So it it gives clues, right? It gives really obvious clues. Um, so it's really, really a profound exercise. And it's a great exercise too to do um, for somebody that has passed that you never got to say the, yes. the things to, right? Being able to say. I think yeah. being able, wasn't it Oprah that said that? Like everyone just mm-hmm. wants to be heard. And yeah. we are rarely given that opportunity without someone coming in, by the way, to give you some feedback, to tell you what you might want to do next time. Everyone just pretty well-intentioned when they give advice, but the world is teeming with advice. And actually we don't allow anyone to give advice. You are not in one of these workshops to give any suggestions of anything. You might want to do this, or you should totally turn that into a screenplay. Or and, and here's another thing. While we're talking about Lori's work on the page, we go with what's on the page. And I don't say, this reminds me of what happened with my daughter. Mm. Oh, because what you've just done is now pulled energy away and then you feel a little bit bad. It's All of it is geared to making that writer feel safe because there's really nowhere in the world a writer can normally feel safe. Mm. And so that's the key. So you've heard, well, you have to get outside your comfort zone. People will say, I'm going to do your workshop, but I'm really afraid because it's outside of my comfort zone. I said, actually, honey, you've been living outside your comfort zone. This is the comfort zone. This is actually the only place. I can't guarantee you someone's not going to say something shitty about your work when you get out of this call. 
Mm-hmm. That's not why we're not, I am not pro codependency here where you can only listen to what I say about it. But when you learn to listen for what you love in your own work and others work, I listen to your work and I say, here's what I loved about it. I've now strengthened another muscle where now I can see what's working and I disregard what's not working and it falls away, but it right. speeds up the growth. It speeds up your ability to lean into what you know and to see it, to gain mm-hmm. incredible clarity around it. Um, and I've just never seen anything else like it. Yeah, it's amazing. So, okay, so let's say, um, coming back to something you mentioned a minute ago about when you're feeling stuck, right? So you've got, you've got whatever this stuff is going around up here, you're, but stuck. And this is, you know, it's what we try to do on the show is give people some way, shape, or form in some mm-hmm. area of their life, you know, whether it's emotional, mental, physical, health, you know, whatever, a way to get unstuck. So. Even for somebody that maybe doesn't have a big, um, you know, uh, desire to be a writer or anything, but yeah. how, how could people, what, what can you tell them? What tips can you give them right now, especially, especially right now where people are feeling stuck in ways they've never felt stuck before because of the limitations, you know, um, being imposed on us in this particular unique point in time. Mm-hmm. Um, what can we do at home? you know, in our own, in our own room with our own pen and paper, what prompts would you give people to help them just free up some stuff, get unstuck, just, you know, how can they use this time to be more quality time by, by using writing? I think that one way to do it is not to take on too much at once. And that's why I love the timed writing prompt. Um, in fact, it's, it's something that, that I'm happy to share with everyone. There's a, a series of prompts I have that are part of a free little guide where you can okay. have a prompt and go write it. But I could give you one right now. It would be um, like, like I just said, actually a good one I just used recently was, and set a timer, you know, set a timer, 15 minutes, that's it. And you say, okay, write about a time when you told the truth, because usually it's like, ooh, like a time and get in the body. When I don't say, let me write an essay about truth. No, I don't want an essay about truth. I want you to, I usually have people do a small meditation just to kind of get in your physical body. Writing is a physical act. It, when you're moved by something you read, you're not moved in one part of a neuron here. You're moved in your whole body. So in order to be moved in your own work, use the body. They say, when was the time you told the truth? Maybe you go, boom, I'm in second grade and I just stood up to that person. Or, oh, I'm in my first marriage and I, I said what was really happening that no one else would say. Get into the scene and write the scene. Mm-hmm. Have a moment where you just write, where you don't think, you just write the action. Get out what happened. Describe it in great detail for 10, 15 minutes and then stop. Put it away. Go look at it a few hours later or the next morning. And look at it and see what you loved about it. What is so, oh, I like that I said that. I never thought about that. Mm-hmm. Now do another one. Write about another time you told the truth. Write like do it once a day for five days. What do those five things tell you? What, what patterns do you see in your own life? You can't take someone else's life and put it on top of yours. And we're in New York, so there's sirens every second. Uh, but, so that's one way. Another great prompt is write about a time when you, when you oh, wait. Uh, Ah, write about a time when things clicked, when you really felt like, oh my God, this is exactly, this is what I'm supposed to be doing right at this moment. Not even for a living. I mean, oh my gosh, this makes sense. This makes sense. That moment when you felt this, we call it the quickening where you really get it. Mm -hmm. And then another one is write about a time when something broke. Maybe it's an earring. Maybe it's a marriage. Maybe it was your mom's favorite plate. Go to the objects, go to the memories, go to where your body is holding those things and explore them. And you will see other things come out. When people have written to prompts that I've given them, they've said, I wrote in a way that I haven't felt free in writing since I was a kid, or I wrote about something I haven't thought about in a long time. It's not an accident. The prompts are great for nudging you, but you can also use your own prompts. You can find prompts anywhere. There's a million prompts online. They're not as good as mine, but (laughs) the point is to get you moving. Right. For short spurts. Okay. And that would be a great way to get it. Don't do 10 minutes. What am I passionate about? Ah, you could do 10 minutes right about every moment when I felt excited again. 
and just moment, 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 just like brain dump. Give yourself Mm -hmm. more evidence of your own creativity and intuition. Mm -hmm. So you have something to work with. Interesting. So, um, yeah, I can remember I've gone through phases where I've done like morning writing, like about morning pages, <laughs> morning pages, right? Like, like maybe uh, t- nah, 18 years ago or so I started to read the artist's way yes. and right. And I never finished it, but I, I got a good way through it, but, but I started the practice of doing some writing and that's and what you got from it. It's great. Right, right. And, um, but I do go through phases and then I'll just stop and then I won't do it for a while. And then about four years ago or three years ago, um, I was reading or listening to Robin Sharma, the 5am, 5am club, um, thing. And it's about, you know, morning writing, basically morning writing. At 5am? Oh boy. Yeah. Yeah. Mine was like more like 7.30am or 8am, but yes. (laughs) the point is, (laughs) right. I'm not in the 5am club yet. Nope. That I ever will be. I'm not really passionate passionate about that. But, um, but the right, the morning writing thing. So I did that again for a while. I got back into it. And what's interesting is, you know, I'll put my stuff away and then I'll find it like years later and I'll be like, what's this? What's all this scribbling? And I'll, I'll read through it and I'll, and two things will happen. One is I'll either be like, oh, I hate that. And I throw it away. Or the other thing is I don't remember writing any of this. This is like, that's amazing. Yeah. But I rarely ever go, oh, I love that. <laughs> so, but you're saying, what- do I love it, hate it as one whole chunk? That's, that's different because you might go, I don't know what that's for. And we don't know what's in there that you don't really want to be reminded of at the moment, whatever. But if you were in the group and you had just written it, we never read stuff that was written before. So you wouldn't be surprised by it. But what you hear are specific things. So rather than try to look at it as an Amagon thing, like, oh, I like this or hate it. Like even when someone says, oh, I thought it was good. No, no, no. That's a judgment. We didn't ask what was good. Here's what I loved. I love this, 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 Mm. this. Then Mm. you go, oh, really? The writer almost never sees what everyone else sees in it. They go, wow. And they're so taken aback that I didn't know. I didn't mean to do that. You didn't mean to, but that's, and by the way, when you were saying before that you help people like write it out and get it out, that's really therapeutic and fantastic. The next jump of that is looking at the craft. And it's not just for journalists or anything like that. It's more like, how did you do that? That's artistry. See how you compared this to this? Did you realize you'd done that? That's amazing. It makes people realize what they are capable of. Yeah. Yeah. Which is just a wonderful thing for people to, you know, bring up a little bit of up level yes. the confidence a little, up level the self. Oh, absolutely. A bit. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, okay, those are just freaking awesome tips, I think, um, for for our listeners to be able to be um, you know, able to take some take some notes, listen back, take some notes, and then just try a little bit of writing and see how that just see how it feels. Um, People tend to fall in love with it more than fall out. Mm-hmm. I've never seen anyone come and go, great, thanks for confirming that I hate this. They're always like, oh, I'm kind of, it has a sort of seduction to it because you're seduced by your own stuff. Mm-hmm. And it's really exciting to sort of that fall in love with the parts of your life that, that speak to you now, that maybe yeah. speak to you now differently. Yeah. Is there anything that you would say, stay away from this. Don't like- Yes, like, I'll tell you like, exactly don't, what. Don't write about your greatest fears or something oh, like no, that. Oh, no, no, no. No, you can write about anything. Okay. I would say don't pr- create a prompt that is a hard thing to answer. Only look for the quickest way to get wheels on the ground. Mm-hmm. You know, like I'll say whatever you think, and I'll say you can ignore the prompt, right? Whatever. You don't even need a prompt. Uh, what Natalie Goldberg does, she'll be like, write about what's right in front of you right now. One thing that's in front of you. This mason jar. Okay, what do you like about it? What does it remind you of? To go down the rabbit hole of your own writing. We all know what it's like to go down the rabbit hole on TikTok or whatever. I've gone down that rabbit hole. Go down the rabbit hole of your writing. Don't make it homework. Don't make mm-hmm. it, here's what I'm going to do with my life. Like, oh my God, don't crush it with strategy. Here's yeah. another tip. Do not take what you wrote and share it with everyone and ask them what they think because they are not trained and they will come back and say, oh, I don't know what you meant here. Can you fix this? You know, it'd be really great if you should do this. And you'll come back with a bunch of more homework from people. Mm-hmm. So when I have written something, I choose someone, usually someone who's gateless trained in my world. But if it were someone else, I'd say, listen, I'd love you to read this. And here's what I want to hear back. I'd love to hear what you liked about it. What parts were your favorites? And where did you feel energy in the piece? I don't want any edit, other edits at this time. In fact, I have a book manuscript due to my editor at Simon & Schuster. And I uh, am very nervous because I've never had a book out. This is very exciting. But I'm in a nervous place because I've handed myself over to someone who is in a position to judge. 
-hmm. And I actually said to her in a letter, I know we both want this book done easily without any headache. I said, but if you come back at me with a lot of things you hate, I'm not going to be able to, I'm going to feel stuck. So while I know we have to do revisions, of course, could you also tell me what you like so that I know what to lean into? Mm. I don't know how she took that and we'll see, but you can tell people what you want to hear. And it's not like only tell me I'm amazing. That's not what I'm (laughs) saying. But I'm saying, be careful of looking for approval from your work, from people. Do you think this is good? Could this be something? No one knows how to answer that. And Mm -hmm. you will end up disappointed and you'll go, I'm not doing that again. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, because everybody's going to have their... uh, things that they like and prefer. It's like asking- And it's subjective. You know, yeah. They'll tell you very, what they like about it. And Right. You know. Right. If, if it's like very, you know, strawberry flavored and they like chocolate, then they're going to be like, eh. And then you'll feel bad about, oh, maybe I should have done chocolate. That's not the point. Right. 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 <laughs> so okay. choose your readers carefully and give them very specific instructions on what you want to hear. That's such a good tip, giving them specific instructions on what to share back with you. Because I think most people wouldn't think to do that that aren't- No, they'll hand it back to you with a comma put in. (laughs) Right. Okay. Hey, before I forget, Terry, did- was when we were talking in the beginning about um, the the comedy and the, um, the TEDx talk- was that your going rogue story or did we, do we still have a Oh going no, story? my going rogue story, I'll keep it short, is this. I was a magazine editor for many years at um, a magazine that was purchased by Martha Stewart and moved to New York, which is how I got to New York City. And, you know, I, it was great. I was, this is a life-changing move, life-changing stuff. And then a few years in, eh, I got laid off with when the company did some massive layoffs. I was included in those layoffs. I'd never been laid off in my life. I kind of had a feeling that it could happen and that it happened. And my rogue story is that two things. One, I don't like licking wounds with people. And so all the people who got laid off created a Facebook group of people who wanted to talk about how unfair it was that they got laid off. I did not join that group. Or if I did, I never went on it. And I said, no, 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 no. I don't, I don't want to talk about how unfair. I'm over this. Like we're doing the, what's next? And the second thing I did uh, was I started to look for jobs, but I didn't really. I looked at a couple and I said, man, I don't like any of these. <laughs> and I said, how about, what if I just stayed home and worked from home and then had people mail me checks here? Is that possible? Because that's what I'd like. I didn't say, oh, let me figure out what I'm passionate about first. I said, what do I know how to do? What's in my skill set? I'm an editor. I can write. I can edit. I can do video. I can do it. Okay. We got the skills. What do you need? What do you need? And mm-hmm. I just got, you need this? Okay. I did whatever they needed. And I made sure be- that I could get paid because I wanted to stay in New York City without an employer, which is not always the easiest thing to do. Yeah. yeah. And I was able to do it. That was eight years ago, I think. And so I've now officially been my longest running employer. I've now been out longer than I was in. And I did not have a plan. I didn't have a business plan. I didn't have a website, a company name, none of that. I said, here's my bag of tricks. Who needs something from me? Hmm. And that, if you are looking for a way to make money, well, yeah, you figure out what the heck they need. And then over the years, I figured out, oh, I hate doing that. And do I have to do this? And then I slowly positioned what I do and I got really good at it. But it mm. took years to really yeah. figure that out. So yeah. go easy on yourself, people. That's what I would yeah. say. Yeah. I think I, uh, I can't remember who said this. I read it somewhere and I don't remember who the author was um, that said, it really takes about an average of a 10 years to master anything. So I don't have that kind of time. Well, yeah, you do. Unless you're not alive anymore, you're going to have 10 years. Right. Exactly. So yeah, I think just reminding people that whatever it is, you know, to your point um, that you just made, you know, you just said, you just put it all out there. Here's, here are all of the skills that I have. And maybe I'm not passionate about all this stuff, but this is stuff I can Oh, do. I didn't give a crap about that. Right. And I didn't have a social media platform. This is years ago. Yeah. I, didn't even yeah. Have, I barely had an iPhone. I basically called people I knew. I said, what do you have? What's your biggest content problem? What's your biggest this? And I just was like, sure. And if you ran, um, a company that made this lip gloss, I would have been like, oh my God, I love it. I was passionate about being able to survive on my own. And so I got passionate about whatever you handed me, I was excited about. If you can turn it on for what you need to, to do what you're good at, that is a win. I agree. 
Totally. Okay. So before I let you go, a couple things. You mentioned that you might have a book coming out. Yeah. In Maybe, a year. Do you want to talk a little bit? It's all I can tell you is that the tentative title is surprise, surprise, stop searching for your passion because we all know the publisher was like, guess what people cared about that thing. Yeah, um, so perfect. the book is coming out from Atrium books in January or the spring of 2022, if all goes well. Okay. All right. Good luck with that. Thank you. <laughs> Let me know if you get stuck and you need a poke. I'll <laughs> oh my God. Yes. I am making it up as I go. Trust me on that. I'll try to, I'll try to prompt you with some quality questions. Yes. So. <laughs> all right, Terry. Um, why don't you please tell everyone where they can find out more about you and all of the great things that you offer? Well, one thing to keep it easy. If anything I'm talking about is appealing, you go, I'd like to learn more about that. You mm -hmm. just go to my name, terrytrespicio.com slash number five ways. It's a, it's a free guide and an audio guide if you don't feel like reading that nice. you can listen to in 20 minutes. Uh, it's called Five Ways to Unlock Your Genius. And it's more about how to tap that for anyone. Mm -hmm. So it's just terrytrespicio.com slash five ways. Uh, I'm the only one with my name. So wherever you want to find me, you'll probably be able to find me. Yeah. And, <laughs> That's it. And, and everybody, we will, we will put Terry's info in the show notes too. So it will not be hard to find her. Um, and I love the, the, um, the, 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 the free uh, thing that you offer, because I think a lot of people too, even if you, you know, everybody has a story in them or yes. a lot of people have a book in them and they just, they have no clue where to start. But I think also there's a lot of people that might feel like they'd like to write something just for their family. They want to, yes. you know, they, there might be just something you want to write just to leave behind for your, for your family or to share with them at, at a particular point in time. So I think that pretty much anyone can find a lot of value in these things and learning how to just get to it. And I know you have a 30 day program too, right? That, that where you Yes. And if you sign up, cool. if you get this free guide, you'll learn more about all the other stuff. Yeah. Um, yeah. But yeah, you could, you'll have plenty of prompts if you want. There's like, 30 days of prompts if you want them. Um, and that's all you'll be in the, in the loop on all of that, but that's cool. The key I is to keep writing it just to keep writing. Yeah. Know. And the prompts are really helpful though, because now you feel like, Ooh, I've got, I've got a date with this. And for 30 days, right. you know, I'm going to have this little date, this little thing just for myself. And I think, um, it's really important to just, to just take the advantage of that, to just do it and see what could come of such. Um, oh my God, so much that can come of it. Yeah, and it's not a big, it's not a massive commitment. It's a little bit of time each day that you can go inside and just be that's with right. your thoughts and get them out. And I just think there's a lot of value. There. You don't have to do it every day. You can do it once yeah. a week. It doesn't matter. It's about having that little pocket of time where you promise yourself that you will get some things out and see what happens. Perfect. Thank you so much for hanging Thank out you. With us today, Terry. This is so this was, fun. It was really fun. I really appreciate the time you spent with us and uh, and all of the super amazing and valuable information that you shared with everybody. Um, now, if you would like some help shifting your mindset, getting unstuck, up-leveling your health, you know all the good stuff, head on over to lauribischoff.com and you can find out what private coaching with me is all about there. Make sure, if you haven't, to please subscribe. That way you will always be notified when every new episode drops. And take a moment and give us a rating and a review, please. Those reviews really inspire other people to listen to the show and get all of the good shift that you're getting. It means a lot to us and leaves some comments and we love them. Until next week, stay feisty, my friends. Stay healthy and go make some epic shift happen in your lives. You too, Gary Vee.